0: King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said, He is Elijah. And others said, He is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, who I, I beheaded, has been raised. and yet he heard him gladly. But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias's daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. He vowed to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give you, up to half my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl, and the girl gave it to the mother, her mother. When his disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb."
1: Let's pray for the Lord's help to understand his word. Father, we have we have heard this gruesome story of the death of John the Baptist. and. In in so many places in Scripture, uh, we we hear your word and we are bothered by it. We are offended by what you have said. We hate it. We don't like being told to repent. And and often, like Herod, we lock away your word. And we ask that you would help us this morning. Send your spirit upon us so they may understand you. We may hear you. Amen. Uh, Earlier this week, whenever I was meditating on this story, the, the story of John the Baptist dying, being thrown in prison and killed, I really wasn't sure what to do with it. See, so far in Mark's Gospels, it's usually the story where Jesus comes into the scene and he does something great and everybody's happy and they love him, and or maybe they don't, but then like we get to see how he's the great victor. But then there's this story. It's a dark story. It's a flashback and it, it, it's, it's sad, it's sinful, it ends on a, on a sour note. So why did Mark put it here in the gospel? I I don't think Mark was interested in just telling us this story for history's sake. That's not what Mark was up to. Uh, By the direction of the Holy Spirit, Mark is weaving this plot line that will ultimately get resolved at the end of the book. The gospel continues. So at first, I was thinking, well, maybe Mark put this here to be sort of a helpful counterbalance to all the excitement that we've seen so far in the story of Jesus's life. Uh, Because there's excitement building up around Jesus. There's miracles happening. We see that in the first verse of our passage, that things are good. But maybe Mark's like, oh, yeah, things are good now, but just you wait. You know, all this fame uh, that's surrounding Jesus and the boys, well, it's going to lead to them getting killed. You know, God's messengers usually end up dead either by Herod or Pontius Pilate or or later by the emperor. You know, persecution always comes for the faithful. I I was expecting something like that, you know. But the more I studied this passage, the more the theme of sin and repentance came to the foreground. Now, I want to take just a moment to explain sin and repentance uh, before we jump into the story. So if you're not from a churchy background, let let me spell what those terms mean. Uh, Sin. Uh, One author, I really like this, he described sin as the human propensity to mess things up. The human propensity to mess things up. Now, he didn't say mess. Uh, But I I really like that way of saying it. Because we often think of sin as like, oh, there's some arbitrary rule that this guy made and it keeps us away from little things that we like. Somebody's out there not wanting us to have any fun. That's, that's our idea of sin. Uh, but according to the Bible, all the rules that God gives, they are for our flourishing. So when we go against God's word, we're messing things up for us, for for everybody around us. That's what sin is. And and Herod is in deep sin. That's what we see in this text. Uh, And now for the other word, repentance. Repentance. Um, it's, It's a word that means to turn away from sin, to turn away from what is hurting us. And Herod refuses to repent. In the 2010s, I don't know if you remember, uh, remember this, but there's this scare about antifreeze in cars because antifreeze was like leaking out of cars and mountain goats were drinking the antifreeze because it's sweet tasting. And, and that antifreeze would like kill them, you know. It was a danger. Well, well, God calls us to turn away from our sin because he wants us to flourish. He wants us to stop drinking the antifreeze. But here's the deal. We don't like that. We don't like listening to God. We don't like repentance. We don't want to stop drinking the antifreeze. And that is what we see in this text. That's the sour note. That's the hard truth here. John is thrown into prison because he was a prophet of God, somebody telling God's truth. And so Herod locked him away. So here's what we're going to do with this text. If you're looking in the, in the, in the back middle panel of your bulletin, you'll see that there's two paragraphs there. Uh, we're going to take this story in two parts. Part one, paragraph one, we're going to see that Herod wants to imprison the truth. We want to imprison the truth. And then part two, only the truth can set us free. See, John getting killed here in this passage, it's, it's dark, it's sad, it's hopeless. But if we understand, if we follow the plot line throughout Mark's gospel, we understand that Jesus does something with this. And it's only through Jesus' death, through his work, like John's work here, it's only through that that we can be set free. Only the truth can set us free. So part one, first, Herod wants to imprison the truth, and we want to imprison the truth. Well, we'll look first at the setting, uh, then how Herod and Herodias respond to John's message. So look at verse 14. This provides the setting for the story. Jesus' name has become known to Herod. So what, what's going on? Maybe you've missed the past couple of weeks, although you shouldn't have. I listened to the sermons that were great. You should go back and listen. We had guest preachers. What's going on? Jesus is getting notoriety as a prophet. A few verses earlier in Mark, Jesus goes to his hometown, and he's preaching there. Uh, And and then do you remember what he says? All the people get mad at him, and, and he says, "...a prophet is not lacking honor except in his own hometown." And then he sends his disciples out two by two to go and preach in the villages, Uh, two by two. You know how, if if you're familiar with the Bible, you know like how how it says, uh, where two or three are gathered in my name, talking about God. Uh, Well, it's talking about bearing witness in a courtroom. God is is with uh, his disciples as they go out and they bear witness to the truth, calling people to repent and to turn to God, uh, like a courtroom setting. And God's with them in that. So Jesus and and his disciples, they're just like John the Baptist. They're going out and being prophets. Except one big difference. I don't know if you caught it in the text. See, with Jesus, miracles happen. These miraculous signs start happening. He's like one of those super prophets of old, like Elijah, who called down fire from heaven, you know. Um, So people start asking, who is this Jesus guy? I'm not sure what's really going on with Herod. It it looks like maybe he called a special cabinet meeting and he he gets all his officials together uh, to get to the bottom of what's going on. Some people think Elijah has come back. There's a prophecy in scripture saying that Elijah would return. Other people think that there's a new prophet, but he's like in the sort of the same tradition. But whenever Herod hears about Jesus and those miracles, he is convinced that John the Baptist has been raised from the dead to come and haunt him, you know? It's like uh, Scrooge in The Christmas Story, like one of those sorts of moments. And and why does he think that? Herod was a reasonable man. You know, we look back in in the history of the world and we think, oh, maybe people were stupid or something. That's not the case at all. Like They were like us. they, They knew that whenever people die, they stay dead. They knew that miracles are Not the norm. But these miracles made Herod think that the only way this Jesus stuff makes sense is if miraculous resurrection power, like we've heard from the stories of the prophets of old, has actually come into this world and has raised up John the Baptist. It's very interesting that Herod was thinking that. And then that triggers this this flashback scene. Mark brings us back to observe a really dark time in Herod's life when Herod threw John into prison. And why did he throw him into prison? Look at verse 17. For the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. What's wrong with that marriage? Because verse 18, John says the marriage was unlawful. It was sin, it was antifreeze. It went against what God had commanded in scripture. And look, y'all get ready for this stuff. You wanna pay attention to this because this is tabloid worthy. This is scandalous. Um, Also a side note, in the Herod family, like all the guys are named Herod, so I'm gonna try and make this as simple as possible. So there's Daddy Herod. And Daddy Herod, that's Herod the Great. If you remember Matthew's gospel, he's the Herod who killed all the babies to try and kill baby Jesus. Uh, so, so we already know that, that our Herod in this text, his, his family does not have a good moral backbone. So daddy Herod has some sons. Little Herod, that's our, our Herod. Uh, cute little Herod. Uh, the Herod in this story gets married to a princess of a neighboring nation. I don't know if you knew Herod was married before. Um, And then his brother Philip also gets married to Herodias. And then Philip and Herodias, they go off to Rome because the the Herod family, they're in cahoots with the Roman government. Anyway, so they're in Rome. And then little Herod at some point goes to visit his brother in Rome. And I don't know, maybe they're at a a banquet, you know, eating sun-dried tomatoes. And, you know, little Herod sees Herodias, his brother's wife, across the table. They start winking. Something happens. An adulterous relationship starts. It's part physical attraction, part political ambition. Maybe Herodias was thinking, "Ah, eh, little Herod, he's probably on the up and up. He's going to be a higher official one day." So they start an affair. This affair, actually, you go read the secular histories of the time. This this starts a war <laughs> because little Herod he gets divorced from his wife. That kicks up this battle. The Romans have to come in. It's a mess. Then little Herod and Herodias, they get married. It is awful. It is sin. And all the while, John the Baptist is calling for Herod to repent, to try and untangle himself from this mess that he's worked himself into, to be a righteous ruler of Israel, So let's now look at the two ways that these adulterers respond to John's message. First, we'll look at the wife, Herodias. Look at verse 19. Herodias holds a grudge and she wants to kill John. She hates what God has to say to her. Just like the the proverb of the adulterous woman who eats and wipes her mouth and she says, I've done nothing wrong. How dare John, condemn her for her destructive appetite. Like the Jezebel of old that we read earlier, she wants to kill him, to shut down the voice of God, that one voice of truth in her life that's calling her to repent, that cuts through all her sin. The world we live in today is filled with the spirit of Herodias. Herodias. It is the same story over and over again. And I'm not talking about just like our cultural moment, but go back, go, go, go read Charles Dickens. He, he has the same plot in, in his stories, or, or the Twin Peaks, maybe your own life. You know the story that there's somebody who's in a relationship, a, a marriage, and it's just not that exciting, but then somebody new comes along. And, it, and, and part of us just wants, wants them to be happy with a new flame, A new Like, don't you ever feel that whenever you're watching? We love that story of people breaking free of the chains of responsibility and starting over with something new. And it's not just about messed up relationships. I mean, because at the end of the day, we'd probably all tend to agree, like, if you make a promise, you should probably keep it. But this is literally any sin. It's any time there's a desire that goes against God's word. Just like the serpent back in the very beginning of the Bible, we will say, did God really say that? Is that really what God meant? Or is there a way that I could get what I want? We want to shut it down. We want to kill the prophet. See, often in life, People will have critiques of us, or maybe even positions we hold on on certain issues. And look, if we refuse to listen to those critiques, if we shut it down, kill the discussion, we will be worse off for it. Refusing to listen to critique, it will make us into judgmental, mean, and bitter people. So beware of the idea that all you need to do is to stop listening to the haters. Sometimes, yes, you do need to be affirmed, but sometimes you just need to hear the truth. Now for Herod. How did Herod respond? Herod's response is a little bit different from Herodias. Uh, He throws John in prison, and and we're kind of like, oh, yeah, that that was good. He was keeping Herod, I mean, he was keeping John safe from his crazy wife. Uh, Herodias just danger to John, and Herod wants to defend him? No, Look at at verse 20. It's complicated. Herod would sometimes go and listen to John. Do you remember that part of the story? Herod would go listen to him. He listens a little. He hears these pleas for repentance. And he's intrigued by what John has to say. See, he knows that John has the truth. Yet what does he do with that? He keeps John imprisoned. He imprisons the truth. The truth is locked away somewhere where it can't hurt him, even though he, he's interested. He listens. And as, as crazy as that behavior sounds, when I look in the mirror, I see the family resemblance. A little Frankie Herod up here. Like, I see it. Uh, to you who are Christians, how many times have you gone to church on a Sunday? And you hear the sermon gladly and maybe you're even a little convicted, you know, like, oh, he got me to the heart. But then come Wednesday, you have found that you have locked away that truth. You've imprisoned the message you heard whenever you needed it. Whenever the sin comes up again in your life that you were called to repent from, and you just, you hush it. You imprison that voice. You know, God, I, I like hearing you on Sundays, but... Can you please leave me alone right now? Uh, God, I, I hear you. I know you're holy, but I want this. I feel like I have to have it. God, you're asking me to repent, but if I do repent, this is going to cause too many problems for me. I have a reputation to maintain. I, I can't let people know that I was in the wrong. God, I, I, I'll, I'll see you on Sunday, but, but not right now. I'll visit your cell later. So where in your life do you hear the alarm bells ringing? What red flags pop up that you want to subdue? What have your friends said about you that you're just like, mm, they don't understand. They're in the wrong. We need to pay attention, friends. See, the truth is, all of us are guilty of great evil, and we hate that. We want to shut down that truth, either kill it or throw it in prison. And not just us, like look, like literally everybody. And, and something interesting is every religion or secular philosophy in the world tries to do this in some sense. They, they try to imprison the truth. Uh, they, they say, we're not that bad. You know, like, like Yeah, yeah, we're messed up, but we're only human. Or or like, ah, you know, all that stuff that I did, it's not really my fault. If you just knew the story, like you'd understand it was somebody else's fault or nobody's fault. Or you know what, maybe, yeah, I'd do some bad things, but... It's not so bad that God's not going to forgive it. I mean, God's job is to forgive, right? That's just not how the Bible talks. Matthew chapter 11. Jesus is, it's probably my favorite speech of Jesus. He's given the speech about John the Baptist, and and he tells people, like, what did you go out to see whenever you went to see John, whenever you're out in the wilderness? What did you go, did you got to be entertained by him? Or did you actually go to listen to his message and to repent? Jesus says, woe to those cities who went out, who've heard the message and did not repent. Woe to to, to Choroson, woe to Bethsaida. It will be better for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than it will be for those who heard the message and locked it away. Sin Will not just make us bitter people. Unrepentant sin will not just mess up this life, but it will lead to destruction at the end of days. And that is a terrible truth. And it's scary for us to think about facing that truth. And look, if you've ever struggled financially and your car starts making a funny sound, you ever been afraid to take it into the mechanic because you're like, I-, I don't know if I could afford whatever's making this sound. And so you want to kind of avoid that problem. Maybe the doctor, you're thinking the same way. Um, Like, you know something's wrong, but you feel like you just can't afford to pay the cost of if it's true. So you want to shut out that thought. Look, that will imprison you. We have to face the truth. And the wonderful thing that that we see is that the, the very truth that we try to imprison is the truth that will set us free if we understand it. There is a lot of sin, and there is judgment coming, but inside that, we will find the gospel of Jesus. So this leads us to part two. The very truth we try to imprison is the only thing that can set us free. Now, we'll see this in hints and shadows in this part of the story, because we know that this story continues. Uh, But as we go through the story of John's death, I hope that you'll be able to pick up on how this parallels the death of Jesus. Look at verse 21. An opportunity came. An opportunity for what? Uh, Verse 19, uh, an opportunity for Herodias to get what she wanted. She wanted to kill John. The opportunity's here. And it's a party. It's a birthday party. And y'all... This party shows how deeply imprisoned Herod and Herodias are in sin. First, Herod invites all these important people, all these commanders and princes to come to his party because he's proud. The sin of pride is on full display. And and there's actually a joke in this passage, but we're like 2,000 years too late to catch the joke. Herod was never a king. This Herod was never a king yet Mark calls him King Herod. That's because people would jokingly call him that. And the dude actually gets exiled by the Emperor Caligula because he tries to become a king later. So it's a funny story. Anyway, sin. Second, Herodias sends her daughter in to dance before all these guests. And now I don't want y'all to imagine this scene like we're in Victorian England and the little girls are coming in. and It's not like that sort of cute little dance. This is a sensual, erotic dance. That's what all the commentaries uh, out there say. That's, That's what historians see going on. This is more like a Greek sort of thing working its way in. It's bad. Third, she was just a teenager. Her mother was very awful to manipulate her into doing this before these men. Fourth, she danced for her stepfather, Herod, and he enjoyed it. Uh, that is the sort of abuse of relational dynamics and power dynamics and sexual stuff that, that God hates from the Old Testament, to the New, ha- New Testament. It is bad. Fifth, Herod offers her up to half his kingdom. If you know the scriptures, you know that's a phrase like the, happening in the story of Esther. Kings say that phrase to their favorite wives. So... That was some bad stuff, father, stepdaughter stuff. Sixth, Herod, Herod, I mean, Herodias uses this vow that he makes to manipulate her husband. Bad marriage dynamics. Seventh, Herod gives into the pressures around him. All these people are looking at him. His wife's looking at him. He's like, I've made this vow. I have to give this girl whatever she asked for. And even though he knows it is wrong to kill John, even though it grieves him, He does it anyway. He has imprisoned the truth for so long that he feels stuck and he has to do it. This whole party is a mess. This is a display of what it means to be enchained in sin. And it ends so sadly. Look at verse 9. John's disciples, they hear of it and then they come in and they, they collect his body in two parts and they take him and they lay him in a tomb and that's it that's where this part of the story ends but if this was all there was then all this would be would be a horror story to us on the dangers of unrepentant sin now there may be some of you here today uh, who are trying to ignore your sin and this text should scare you but there is great freedom if we keep reading Mark's gospel to the end because John is just a foretaste of Jesus. See, both John and Jesus are imprisoned for preaching. Both John and Jesus, they were killed by rulers who were, who were pressured to execute them by outside forces. Both John and Jesus They were laid in a tomb by their followers. And and Herod had assumed that John the Baptist had been raised from the dead, but Jesus actually was raised. See, all these hints at this point that that were meant to follow them to the end, that's why they're there. So why was Jesus raised? Why is Jesus' story different? It's because Jesus came to free us from all this. See, we... Like Herod and Herodias, we are heaping up sin day after day after day. So much evil that that we dare not even consider it. It's too big of a mess. We can't possibly unentangle ourselves from this. And it would, the the truth is, it would crush us if we understood how much sin we've actually accrued. It It would destroy us. But the story doesn't end here. It doesn't end with us getting crushed with our sins. The story ends with Jesus marching to the cross with your sins upon his shoulders. The story ends with him crying out in agony for you to save you. The story ends with our sin crushing him into the grave. The story ends with him actually rising from the dead. And he doesn't come out of the grave alone. In his resurrection, he resurrects all his people. He is the first fruits of the resurrection. So if you have put your faith in him, then you are pulled out of that damnation that you have earned for your sins. It's the gospel truth. And that same resurrection power that saves us in that future date that pulls up our bodies, that same resurrection power is at work in you now if you believe. And it's in work in you in order to enable you to repent. You can experience the resurrection through repentance. I don't know if you know this, but I am the worst sinner in this room. And you are too. Can we accept that? Can we acknowledge that? As a church, can we understand that we we are a, a real mess here? But can we do it not being crushed by that, but knowing that the story ends with our sin being destroyed by a mighty God, and that means that our sin in this life now can be destroyed by a mighty God. Recently, I had a friend call me out on something sinful I had done. In that moment, I had an opportunity myself. I could choose to imprison the truth, or I could be freed from sin by the gospel. I'll choose the gospel. Another friend called me up and he told me, "Uh, Frankie, I I need a confessor. Not like a confessional booth sort of thing. He just wanted somebody that he could talk about the the, the tangible reality of his sin and the gospel, being freed from sin in this life and, and how that's possible through Jesus. He wanted somebody to talk about it in a tangible way. And that's what we should do. This stuff is as real as flesh and blood. So let us be a people who walk and talk about repentance. And sometimes it's going to be hard. Sometimes it's going to be embarrassing. Sometimes it can lead to a lot of pain. Sometimes you have to confess things to your spouse. But but amidst all that discomfort, there is joy. There is deep joy found in repentance. The same joy that John the Baptist had when he saw Jesus And he saw Jesus coming over the hill and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Let's pray. Father, teach us the path of repentance. Teach us not to fear the truth about ourselves, but to help us to hear your word and live by it. Renew our efforts by your miraculous resurrection power that we might turn from our sin with joy and find freedom through your efforts. In our Savior Jesus' name we pray. Amen.